illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down and eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right half from the zone 25, goes back to throw and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here will tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half from the right half. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, Ken into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Wojtnik, he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heinrich Tailgater. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heinrich Tailgater headquarters, I'm your host, head chef, planner, and chief bottle washer, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me, as always, from the Heinrich Tailgater Northern Command Outpost, the lead driver and director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host and brother, the Beach. How the heck are you doing on this cold Last night of November, Beach. I'm I'm holding in there, Billy. I had a <laughs> had some frozen pipes this morning, but they've since thawed out, and life is good. That's good. That's good. It's always good to keep your pipes clean. Yeah, I do that regularly too. <laughs> the purpose of a legal participation is for us to spread our inside experiences and passion for the Oregon State Beavers with others, and just generally talk some Beaver sports, football, tailgating, and screw around along the way, Beach. Billy. We got a little listener feedback tonight. Dude, I love listener feedback. So listener Dano emailed us. All right, Dano. So Dano writes, Greetings, gents from cold and wet Austin, Texas. Seriously, it's making me homesick. Side note, Dano just moved to Texas a couple months ago. Okay. Another season come and gone, and what started with excitement after the Weber State win and a strong first quarter showing at the big house has ended with winless in the Pac-12. However, after a valiant effort that just came up short on Friday, I can honestly say that I haven't been this excited about a 2-10 team. Would love to slip into a coma and have it be September 2016. Any thoughts on ending the year with, in my opinion, the most underrated song on Use Your Illusion 1? From Dano. Hmm. So that's right, Beej. We had a request from Dano for some uh, coma. The last That's, song off Usually Losing One. He said the most underrated song? Uh-huh. I do like Coma. It's it's good. It's good. So yeah. I think we will have to listen to that when we get there. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I agree with Dano, though. I'm, I'm excited. We, we will talk more about that when we get there. But uh, it was a good uh, Civil War to go to. 
even though the Bees didn't win. Yeah. It was a hell of a game. That's right. So anyway. Well, I just want to remind everyone they can listen to us on their iPhone or Android device on the Stitcher Radio app. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to get in touch with us, email us, HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. I am at HeinrichTailgator. And also check out the Heinrich Tailgator Facebook page. So, Beach, you ready to get into a little Beaver sporting news? Yes. All right, Beach. So, first up is women's volleyball. Dude, I love women's volleyball. Yeah, it's your favorite sport. Building, up, <laughs> building upon a trend of academic success that has persisted over the past decade, the Oregon State volleyball team had a Pac-12 record 12 athletes named all academic. The league and conference commissioner, Larry Scott, announced on Wednesday. Now, redshirt senior... Middle blocker Haley Clark was a first-team selection, while senior defensive specialist Libero Darby Reeder was tabbed to the second team to highlight the Beavers' 12 honorees. So we can't pull a win, but we can beat their asses at SATs. There you go, which is impressive considering you got to play against Stanford in there. True, true of that. Of course, I don't know if Stanford even gives out grades anymore. They, oh, they're above such things. Yeah, probably. Well, they're so judgmental. <laughs> Great. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about opening and broadening minds and, and being free. Everything should be free. Mm. You know, free minds, free school, free food, free housing, you know. It wouldn't be bad if know. everyone just worked for free. Yeah, we want to do that. So, <laughs> All right, Beach, moving on. After being honored for senior night, redshirt senior middle blocker Haley Clark tallied nine kills on 474 hitting with seven blocks, and senior defensive specialist Darby Reeder posted 12 digs as the seniors led the Oregon State volleyball team to a 3-1 to upset over the 23rd-ranked Arizona Wildcats on Wednesday night at Gill. You are freaking kidding me. No. Son of a bitch. Yeah. But then, Beads, the volleyball team fell to the Oregon Ducks on Friday night at Matthew Knight Arena in a three-set match, the Beavers' final contest of their 2015 season. You know, seeing the attendance at the Matthew Knight Arena for a volleyball game, it's got to be a pathetic-looking sight. You know, they can't even put enough people down at the bottom rung to get cameras in there to make it look like it's got attendance. No, I'm just saying in general. The thing is so big. I mean, how many people show up for a volleyball game? Maybe 30, 40, even 100? Well, probably probably more when they were, you know, ranked in the top top five, but yeah. Yeah, well, and then, and then you're sitting there. You're probably so dang far away from the, from the action, you probably can't see anything. Anyway, sorry. Well, Beads, with that result, the Oregon State team finished its 2015 campaign with a 6-24 and overall record and a 4-16 and mark in conference play. been a rough year it's been a building year yes yes it has hopefully things go better next year but we'll move on to wrestling beach how are we doing in wrestling billy well beach oregon state 133 pounder joey palmer has moved into the top 20 in the weekly rankings released on tuesday by intermat and the open mat a redshirt junior from Tahoma High School in Covington, Washington, Palmer cracked the elite by defeating 18th-ranked Jade Rouser of Utah Valley 6-2 last Saturday to improve to 7-3 on the season. Now, the Beavs, who are 2-3 and three overall, did drop five spots to number 23 in the USA Today NWCA Division I Coaches Poll by losing to Rutgers in Utah Valley in their home opener last week. Now, they are number 22 in Intermatch Tournament and Team Rankings. Okay. 
Interesting. There you go. All right, Beach. On to women's basketball. Okay, no swimming this week, Billy? Well, Beach, with last week being the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, some sports had a little bit of – some had some time off. Gotcha. Not, not a lot of sport events. Other teams had tournaments, like the women's basketball team. Okay. Number seven Oregon State women's basketball team handed Hofstra its first loss of the 2015-16 season last Friday afternoon, taking a 73-50 victory at the San Juan shootout in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, Oregon State shot 57.8% from the floor and 70% from three-point range compared to 33.3 shooting from the floor for Hofstra. The Beavs also held a 37-19 advantage in rebounds and hit 14 of their 17 free throws. Now, the team moved to 5-0 Saturday afternoon, defeating Arkansas 63-47 at the San Juan shootout again. Senior Jamie Weisner led the Beavs with 26 points on 9-for-15 shooting, going 6-for-7 from three-point range. Fellow senior Ruth Hamblin filled the stat sheet again, going for 16 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 blocks. Junior Sidney Weiss notched a game-high 14 rebounds and 7 assists. So not a not a bad uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend for the girls out there. Nope, nope, not at all. Now the Beavs in Puerto Rico, no less. That's right. Now the Beavs will head to Milwaukee, Wisconsin on Thursday to take on Marquette in a game that will air live on Fox Sports One. Do do the girls even go to school this time of year? Because it sounds like they're going all over the country and the world for that matter. Well, yeah, but you got to remember, Beach school was closed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, yeah. and so they probably left on Wednesday. Maybe Tuesday. Still got to be tough. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, if you look at, I know with like football beach, a lot, and it's hard for basketball because they're bridging two terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, football players usually take pretty light loads in the fall and load up in the winter and spring. Gotcha. So they can carry lighter loads. Now, do you know here on a side note, beach, do you know which sport on average misses the most school? The most, the most amount of class time. I would have, I mean, basketball plays so many games. Mm-hmm. I would just tend to think basketball. I don't know when men's or women's or if it matters, but uh, so that's, that's where I would go. That's and what I would go some, with. Some I mean, people would think baseball because you're always playing weekend tournaments, possibly uh, basketball because you're gone for a weekend. Actually, you know what sport misses the most class time? What? Golf. Really? Well, because they're playing in the fall and the spring. Okay. Oh, so it it goes over those two terms. Yeah, they they have they have fall tournaments and they have spring tournaments. It's it's a weird sport. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, beans. Let's move on to men's basketball. Now we did talk about this game uh, last week, but senior guard Gary Payton II scored a season high twenty five points, but the Oregon State men's basketball team suffered its first loss of the season last Tuesday, falling sixty three to fifty seven to Valparaiso. Now Payton too added eleven rebounds for his ninth career double double and added three steals and two assists. And like we said last week, he now has at least one steal in thirty six consecutive games. One short of the school record set by his father, Gary Payton, in the 89-90 seasons. Now, after more than a week without playing a game, the Beavs will return to action and look to start a new winning streak when it hosts Loyola Marymount at 7 p.m. at Wednesday at Gill Coliseum. The game will be broadcast on the Pac-12 network. Wow. Yeah. So, well, hopefully he can, uh, you know, I, you, did, do you really want him to break his dad's record? Yeah, heck yeah. So... Yeah, you always want to cool. see, you always want to see it improved, right? I guess, I guess. Keep moving that bar a little further forward exactly. every every time. Exactly. 
So amazing that he's doing it in the first year. Or actually, is this the second year? This is the second year, yeah. And he's actually a senior, so. Oh, okay. Okay. He's a senior, but. Oh, that's right. I forgot he's got his, uh, he had the junior college thing going on. Correct. So, okay, cool. All right, Beach. Um, Now we have a little football news, but this is not Oregon State news. This is just Pac-12 news. Okay. Cal will open the 2016 season August 27th in Sydney, Australia. When the Golden Bears play Hawaii. What are you doing? I'm sorry. It was my phone. Okay. When the Bears play Hawaii in the first college football game of the 26th campaign, the schools announced Saturday in conjunction with the New South Wales government, TLA Worldwide and TEG. The Sydney College Football Cup will take place at the 83,500-seat ANZ Stadium, originally constructed for the 2000 Olympic Games. Now, the contest will mark the first college football game to ever be played in Sydney and the first in Australia since games in Melbourne in 1985 and 1987. Now, Cal will be playing a football game outside of the United States for only the second time in school history. Cal and Washington State battled to a 17-17 tie on November 28, 1987 in Tokyo, Japan. The Cal-Hawaii game will replace a previously scheduled September 3rd home contest on the Bears' 2016 schedule against FCS opponent South Dakota. Hmm. I just, South Dakota kind of got screwed on that deal. Oh, huh? I'm sure they'll 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 they're probably getting bought out some way or another. But that's awesome. Yeah. What an exciting! You know, I, I if we ever played a uh, an international game, I would go. Would you really? I think so. That would be awesome. Yeah. Now the Beavs have played in Tokyo before. We have. How long ago was that? Yeah, it, it was years ago. Beavs. Let me. As see. I say, it must have been before the. Uh, it was before you and I were fully aware. Yeah, I was going to say that it wasn't. It was long before the Pettibone administration. Oh yeah, um, the let's see here. It looks like the Coca-Cola Classic was a regular season national uh, NCAA college football game played in Tokyo, Japan, from 1977 to 1993. It was originally sponsored by Mitsubishi and known as the Mirage Bowl, and later the Coca-Cola Company when it was renamed for the soft drink Coca-Cola Classic. Because the game was merely a relocation of a regular season game. It was not considered a traditional postseason game. So the Beavs played. I could have sworn the Beavs played it. Maybe I'm. Oh, no, here we go. Uh, November 30th, 1980, UCLA, Oregon State. Wow. Was it usually Pac 12 teams or Pac 10? Oh, or no, Pac-8 it was Pac-10 all sorts. Or... Um, it okay. looks like the first year it was Grambling and Temple, second year it was Temple and Boston College. You had Notre Dame, Miami. UCLA, Oregon State, Air Force, San Diego State. Um, USC beat Oregon over there in 1985. Another case of Oregon always trying to do what Oregon State did. Um, (laughs) Nebraska, Kansas State. Looks like the last one was December 6, 1993, Wisconsin versus Michigan State. Hmm. So, yeah, it went on for quite a while. Yeah, I uh, I wonder if the Japanese embraced it or not. Um. I'm assuming it doesn't give you attendance records at what you're looking at there. Uh, it doesn't look like it. doesn't really say. 1992, Nebraska won the Big 8 Conference title there. Ooh. 1993, Wisconsin became co-champions of the Big 10 and received the invitation to the 1994 Rose Bowl. Hmm. Yeah, so doesn't say uh, 
doesn't say how many people was there. I don't know how many it sat either. Was it the Tokyo Dome, though? So that's a pretty big... Uh, I, I've been to the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. It's pretty big. I rode a, I, I, there's a theme park right around it. Yeah. So. I rode a little I rode a little dropping uh, parachute ride right next door to it. Oh, cool. But anyways... Yeah. And there's a broken roller coaster that wraps around it called the Thunder Dolphin. Oh, nice. That's kind of a yep. crazy name for a, for a <laughs> roller coaster. Yep. So... Wait, wait, Beach. That's not your phone. Is that the teletype right here? Son of a bitch, Billy, it is. I can't believe this bastard keeps working. This did freeze. Yeah, thank God for that. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. This just in. Autzen Stadium. It has been confirmed that Autzen's parking lot is still gravel. (laughs) Yes. After 48 years, the parking lot that boosters pay thousands of dollars in donations each to park in is still gravel. This comes after multi-million dollar expansions to the stadium, the addition of the $12 million Casanova Athletic Center, the construction of the $15 million Mashofsky Indoor Practice Facility, and the $68 million Football Performance Center. <laughs> the poor duck boosters have to walk through mud and muck to attend a U of O game, while the players, coaches, and administration walk on South American marble slabs polished by the petite hands of Ecuadorian children. <laughs> You, you know, <laughs> Billy, <laughs> the petite hands of Ecuadorian children, huh? Yes. <laughs> and they're illuminated with lights that are covered by baby CLI light <laughs> fixtures. Exactly. You, you know, this, this, this made me think about, you know, we might not have like the massive quote quote sold out attendance that the University of Oregon has at Oregon State Games and we might not have the marketing and we might not have a fancy 68 million dollar football performance center we do have a very nice athletic center and we have an extremely nice indoor practice facility but you know what Oregon State also did they paved the effing parking lot you know what? And they built a parking structure. Oh my God! Priorities. Yeah. You know what, Beach? I, I will give you that. Um, this last Saturday when we were at the game, or last Friday, it was pretty bad because the tailgate we were at, which was sponsored by a company that that uh, the place I work for does business with, they had to keep basically scooping gravel out of the way to make a little trough for the water to drain down the culvert. Now, when we were there two years ago, it was raining pretty bad that day. And we know some people that are longtime Oregon Duck fans, longtime boosters, dump a pretty significant amount of money into that program every year. And they were standing in what beach? About six inches of water? Yes, a tremendous amount of water. Was, and, they, and they probably, I would say, with what they, they probably donate, I would, what, guess $10,000 a year? I would say, yeah. At, at least five figures, yeah. Yeah. In the five figures somewhere. Yeah, and they were standing in, in, in mud. And it was like, this, I can't believe they can't pave the rest of that parking lot. Yet they have a $68 million 
football performance center. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's pathetic. I think it is too. I think it, you know, it's bad enough how fancy it is. Uh, you know, almost to the point of being except, you know, it's excessive for for what the priorities of that school should be. Mm-hmm. But the, the the fact is that they wasted that money for, you know, old growth timber desk desk covers and whatever else they had. And they had fancy ass, you know, leather. You know, they probably took it from uh, what Kobe beef leather cow hide uh-huh. uh, chairs for for the uh, for all the football execs. Yet they can't freaking pave a parking lot. Yeah, I agree. It would have cost them a fraction to pave that parking lot. It wouldn't hardly cost them anything, I wouldn't imagine. No, compared to a $68 million facility, it wouldn't cost anything to pave that thing. Yeah. Anyway, kind of makes me disgusted. And in the meantime, not only have they done that, but they've also built a baseball stadium. They've also built the Matthew Knight Arena. Countless other facilities around that in, uh, around the uh, campus. Yeah. And and really, the the one thing that makes that athletic department go is football attendance. Mm-hmm. And you are crapping on your donors. Yep, because that's all that is. That's just crapping on your donors. So, so there you go. Update from Eugene, Billy. There's a good one, Beach. That that was a good one. I try. Yeah. I try to bring it every week. You, well, you did on that one. You always. Sometimes you catch me off guard. That one caught me off guard. Well, it was funny because we were even talking about that on Friday. Just like this is pathetic. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Beach. Well, should we talk about uh, the week 13 games in the Pac-12? After further review, the runner did cross the line. You know, let's do this because I think I might have had a pretty successful week this week. Beach, you had a great week. So, I'm going to look at the standings here. So, heading into week 13, Beach, you were in first place with 49 out of 80. I was in second place with 48 out of 80. And Kyle, I hate you, Kyle, was in third place with 46 out of 80. Now, you two had good weeks. I sadly did not. So, Beach, uh, first games were on Friday, November 27th. Mm-hmm. First up was Washington State at Washington. Who'd you take? I took uh, Washington on this one because I said Washington State wasn't going to be worth a crap without their quarterback. Yeah, and you were probably right. And Kyle took UW. I hate you, Kyle. I, however, took Washington State. Well, led by Miles. How'd that that work out for you there, Billy? shut up. Led by (laughs) Miles Gaskins, 138 yards rushing and two TDs, and the trio of Sidney Jones, Darren Gardenhire, and Azeem Victor all returning turnovers for touchdowns in the second half, the Huskies pulled away for a 45-10 win over the Cougars on Friday. Now, Washington became bowl eligible by winning the Apple Cup for the sixth time in the last seven meetings with the Cougs. The Huskies slowed the best passing game in the country and took advantage of seven turnovers, the most committed by Washington State since 2009 against Hawaii. Wow. Now, the Huskies benefited by the absence of starting quarterback Luke Falk, leaving freshman Peyton Bender to make the first start of his career. Now, Falk missed the game after suffering an apparent concussion last week against Colorado, and Bender looked the part of an inexperienced freshman. He threw for 288 yards in a TD, but also saw both of his interceptions returned for scores by the Huskies. 
Wow, two pick sixes? Yes. Now, Jones' interception was the most important of the three returns. With the Huskies leading 17-3 and Washington State driving, Jones jumped a pass in the flat and immediately thought touchdown, waving pass bender and returning the pick 69 yards for a 24-3 lead. Gardenhire scooped up a fumble and returned it 28 yards for a touchdown in the fourth quarter after Washington State standout wide receiver Gabe Marks was bent awkwardly and appeared to suffer a white right knee injury immediately dropping the ball. And on the next play from scrimmage, Victor nabbed the Bender's pass and returned it 27 yards for another score. Wow. So, Beach, that's right. You got another one. So did Kyle. All right, Beach. The second game on Friday, and the final game, was Oregon State at Oregon. I'm pretty sure we all ticked the, the Beavers on this one, Billy. That is true. Now, Oregon quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. threw for 366 yards and three touchdowns to Braylon Addison as the Ducks won their sixth straight Civil War. I think that's wrong. I think it should be seventh straight Civil War. I think it's their seventh straight, yeah. 52-42 to 42 on Friday. Now, Addison finished with eight catches for 106 yards. Running back Royce Freeman ran for 167 yards and two TDs for the Ducks, who will now wait to see how the postseason bowl picture shakes out. Stanford will represent the Pac-12 North in the conference championship game. Now, it was the ninth straight loss for the Beavs, the most since 1995, when they lost 10 in a row. Oregon State did not win a conference game for the first time since 1997, but they did not go 0-12 like the 2008 Huskies. Now, the Beavs did not make it easy for the Ducks. Victor Bolden ran 78 yards on a punt return for a touchdown to narrow the score to 38-35 early in the fourth quarter. Adams answered on the next drive with a four-yard touchdown pass to Addison. Then Ryan Nall broke free for a 66-yard scoring run to draw the Beavs close once more with a 7.05 to go. Again, Adams answered with a 24-yard TD pass to Addison for the final margin. Now, Nall finished with a career-high 174 yards rushing and a score for the Beavs, who had averaged just 14.7 points during the losing streak going into Friday's game. Now, Oregon State's Seth Collins, who missed four games with a left knee injury, returned and ran for three touchdowns while sharing quarterback duties with first-time starter Marcus McMarion. The mobile Collins who still led the team in rushing despite his injury, scored on a four-yard run to give the Beavs the early 7-0 lead. Now, Anderson said last week Collins would sit the rest of the season, but the true freshman quarterback returned to practice this week at receiver. Now, Collins was the starter at quarterback at the start of the season, with redshirt freshman McMarion serving as backup. Nick Mitchell, also a redshirt freshman, later played himself into the backup role. Now, Mitchell started while Collins was sidelined, but this week Anderson announced McMarion would get his first career start and hinted that Collins would play. Now, the Beavs had an early 7-0 lead that was short-lived on the next series of the game as Addison ran for a score to tie it. Taj Griffin added a 14-yard touchdown run and Aiden Schneider kicked a 24-yard field goal to extend the Ducks' lead to 17-7. Freeman rushed for a three-yard touchdown before Adams' 37-yard pass to Addison, which extended Oregon's streak of games with at least one touchdown pass to 80. The TD gave the Ducks a 31-7 lead at the halves. Now the Beavs rebounded after the break with Collins running for one yards and nine yards out for consecutive touchdowns. We were... We were down four scores and brought it within one. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, That was impressive as hell. If we could have gotten one more... One more stop. Yeah, either a stop or, or a turnover or something, or that, that damn touchdown that they had where that guy was open dead center in the middle that scored their last touchdown mm. was just a killer. Yep. But but anyway, it was a it was a great game. I you know, the fact is and I said it other than um 
the last game, not not the Civil War, but before that. Other than that, the Beavs never gave up in the second half. No. No, this was the 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 best second half Beaver team I've seen probably in a decade. You know, it always seemed like, especially under Riley, um, the second halves were always like, God, I hope we have enough points scored so that we know we're going to be running out of juice in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I heard uh, today on the news that uh, Mitchell is leaving. Actually, yes, that just came out today, Beach. Um, there were so about four four players well, were looking at that so leaving. after the game. Anderson said that. Well, first of all, let's talk about the game itself. So, okay. a couple things coming out of that game. One, I think you found your future running back for next year. Nall looked amazing. He did look fantastic. Um, He's shown power through the year, but they were letting him go outside, and he was getting that edge. Oh, he was beating them. Yeah, he was beating them to that edge. And you're playing Oregon, which is just a fast team top to bottom. And he was Mm -hmm. getting to that edge and beating them out there. And that one where he broke it for 66 yards, he was pulling away from their defensive backs. Yes, he was. It was amazing. And I think he just showed that he, he will be your feature back next year. Um, second of all, I think Seth Collins also proved that he needs to be on the field somewhere, mm-hmm. right? He needs to be on the field, be it at quarterback, at receiver, at some kind of, you know, H back or something like that. He needs to be on the field because he's got that kind of talent. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we learned those two things. The other thing it came out be is at halftime, you know, the Beavs are down 31, seven and really quite frankly look pathetic and I think kind of was what everyone was expecting to be at that point. And I guess Jordan Villeman, you know, receiver for the Beavs, mm-hmm. um, had a very impassioned speech at halftime where he just got on everybody about what it meant and how it's the last game and they weren't going to go out like that. And I guess mm-hmm. really got the team fired up. And right. I like that for two reasons. One, because it did fire the team up, at least it appears to. And two, let's hope we got a leader for next year. Yeah. I think that's because it's been lacking. Yeah, I think so too. Now, and we never really found out what was going on with Storm Woods, but was he just injured most of the year? I think he's been just basically hurt most of the year. Okay. Frankly, that's that's kind of been my 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 look at it. Okay. It, what was that? Oh, I was going to say, because a couple times he did, he seemed to perform fairly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, Beach. And on that note, also, um, Coach Anderson stated after the game that they uh, well, the game was on Friday. That on Sunday they were going to have individual meetings with players, and that at that time they were going to have some frank discussion with some of the players, and basically just be flat out if they were going to be included in the plans from here on out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that meant, you know we don't want you on the team, or if it meant we don't think you're going to be getting much playing time, it might be in your best interest as a football player to transfer. Yeah. But, you know, they kind of said that it was coming, that there was going to be a little bit of a bloodletting. And today we did find out that quarterback Nick Mitchell, linebacker Malik Gilmore, defensive lineman Luke Hollingsworth, and defensive back Chris Hayes were all going to leave. Wow. Wow. And I don't know if that's the uh, end of it. I would imagine there might be some. 
Now, are most of those guys all Riley recruits? I, they pretty much all are, Beach. Okay. Yeah, because uh, Mitchell, Gilmore, and Hollingsworth, I know, have all been here for a while. I believe Hayes. I'm not sure. So what um, when they transfer to a different school, because I know when other students transfer, you have to sit out a year. Does that come okay. in this well, case as I well? I believe Gilmore and Hollingsworth are both on target to trans- or to graduate either this spring or summer. So if they okay. do that, they can transfer to wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it has to do with that. If they're going to some place that has a graduate degree that Oregon State doesn't offer, and that's then just merely, can... that's just merely a technicality. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe Mitchell and Hayes are both underclassmen. So. Okay. Yeah. So they would have to sit out. Yeah. Yep. Unless they go down a division like they go to uh, Portland State, they go to a one double A team. Gotcha. Or lower. Anyways, so that's that. Beach, I was very encouraged after that game. You know, I've got, I've got some faith. I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Uh, again, it sucks that we have to wait, uh, you know, nine, ten months for uh, for it to come around. Yep. Yeah. All right, Beach. Uh, so none of us got the win on that one, but uh, good good on the Beavs. So, Beach, mm-hmm. the rest of the games were all on Saturday, the twenty eighth. First up was UCLA at USC. Ooh, who did I take on this one? This one was a toughie. Mm-hmm. I think, did I take UCLA? Yes, you did. Kyle, I hate you, Kyle, took USC, and I took UCLA. Now, USC quarterback Cody Kessler threw for two TD passes and ran for another score, and USC clinched the Pac-12 South title with a 40-21 victory over number 22 UCLA on Saturday in the 85th edition of their Crosstown Showdown. Now, that just surprises me. They've only played 85 times. Do you know how many times the Beavs and Oregon have played? How many? Like 119? Wow. Yeah. Something like that, 112. It's something like that. It's over 100. Anyways, just crazy. Yeah. Anyways, after snapping its three-year skid in the annual city rivalry game, USC will face Stanford next Saturday in the Trojans' first trip to the Pac-12 championship game. Now, Darius Rogers and Taylor McNamara caught TD passes while the Trojans scored 20 consecutive points in the second half before raising the victory bell. USC improved to 5-2 under interim coach Clay Helton, winning five of its last six games to earn a shot at the Pac-12 title, despite a litany of off-field distractions headlined by coach Steve Sarkeesian's midseason firing. Now, while the Trojans' offense held the ball for 40 minutes, USC got its game-changing plays on defense and special teams. Adoree Jackson returned to punt 42 yards for a TD shortly before halftime, and Rasheem Green put the Trojans ahead to stay in the third quarter, when the freshman defensive lineman returned Josh Rosen's fumble for a 32-yard TD. Another physical performance in the style preferred by their new coach, the Trojans renewed their calls for a full-time hire of Helton, who deferred any speculation about his job prospects. But, Beach, just today, USC announced that Clay Helton is the no longer the interim coach, but the full-time head coach of USC. Wow. Yeah. Now, Paul Perkins rushed for two TDs for the Bruins, who lost to USC for the first time in Coach Jim Mora's tenure. 
Now, serious injuries and season-long inconsistency finally caught up to UCLA, which lost two of its final three games. The Trojans grinded out 235 yards rushing against the Bruins' beleaguered run defense. Rosen passed for 227 yards and hit Thomas Duarte for an early TD, but the touted freshman also threw two second-half interceptions to Amon Marshall in his first taste of the L.A. rivalry. You know, this is this is funny. Maybe USC uh, admin actually learned that maybe keeping the interim coach is a better thing than hiring somebody outside after the end of the season. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if he was maybe forced his hand into it. There's a lot of speculation that they were going to try and hire Chip Kelly because Ke- a lot yeah. of people think Chip Kelly is going to get fired by the Eagles, which I still think he is. Although yeah. Kelly claims that uh, he never had any discussion with USC. He's only focused on the Eagles, but we all know that Chip Kelly's a big fat liar. You with know. bitch tits. Yeah, with yeah. And so that's, you know, his words about, you know, his word isn't worth a piece of dog crap. So Yeah, yeah. He 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 says whatever's convenient for him at the time, which benefits him. His 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 truth is very uh flexible. Yeah. So well, I think it's a good, I mean, so far the coach has proved that he can win games and especially going into like an interim season like that. Yep. But it just goes to show you, if you if you keep the distractions down, you keep the hookers and the blow and the alcohol to an absolute minimum, you can actually accomplish crap. Mm-hmm. Look what USC can do. Yeah. Just get rid of the blow. There you go. So, nope. all right. No more blow in the locker rooms anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach. Uh, next up was Colorado at Utah in the made-up rivalry game. <laughs> in the, in the, we don't have anybody else in our states that want to play us. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the lone, lone, lone uh, schools in our states. Um, no, not, let's, but... Well, well, but yeah, but Utah, nobody in the Pac-12. Yeah. Nobody in the Pac-12. Yeah. Were the, were the two redheaded stepchildren that were admitted together. So. Exactly. It's like an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Who did I pick on this sucker? Um, oh, I picked Utah. Yes, you did. Actually, all three okay. of us did. And all right. Utah, with a 24-14 to win over Colorado Saturday, gave the Utes their best Pac-12 finish since joining the league in 2011. But there was still a fiend of emptiness after a 6-0 start and a number three ranking just over a month ago. The six wins will tie for the most in the Pac-12 South, but Utah lost tiebreakers to both USC and UCLA. Now, Utah leaned on the run despite leading rusher Devontae Booker being out for the season with a knee injury. Joe Williams ran for 187 yards in a TD and flat-out carried the offense. Quarterback Travis Wilson threw for 108 yards, one TD, and one interception. Now, Colorado quarterback Cade Apsay threw for 145 yards, one TD, and two interceptions before leaving the game, letting the second quarter with an injury. Jordan Gerke threw for 113 yards, one TD, and an interception in his absence. Nelson Spruth finished with 111 yards and a touchdown. Now, Gianni Paul had 12 tackles for the Utah defense, and Valenci Fonuku had a career-high four sacks. He entered with five during his entire career and without one this season. The two teams also combined for seven turnovers in the game. Now, Beach, I have to say, I did not watch this game. Mm-hmm. I was headed to Portland that day. Listen to it on the radio. Most freaking boring game to listen to on the radio ever. Really? Oh, it was brutal. Just sucked. What? 
it wasn't just the the the, the broadcasters. It was the game itself it was just, just a boring stunk. game. Yeah, they just hmm. just stunk. Well, let's 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 move on to a more exciting game. I heard the the next one coming up was just a freaking yes, right? It was a crazy end. Yes, so, so no, let's so let's the, get into that one. I never saw this one. So, so, so we all got points on the Utah game. Next up, lead was Notre Dame at Stanford. So who'd you take? Um, on this one here, I'm pretty sure I took Stanford. All three of us did, which was good. Stanford quarterback Kevin Hogan threw four TD passes and drove the number nine Cardinal to a game winning. 45-yard field goal by Conrad, I'm going to screw this up, Ukropina on the last play of a 38-36 victory over number 6 Notre Dame in a playoff elimination game Saturday night. Now, Hogan threw for 269 yards and calmly led the winning drive in the final 30 seconds for the Cardinal, who kept their slim playoff hopes alive with the win. Now, Stanford needs to beat Southern Cal in the Pac-12 championship game next week and get help in the other title games to make the four-team playoff. Now, Deshaun Kaiser had given the Irish a one-point lead on his two-yard run with 30 seconds left, only to see Hogan drive Stanford to the winning score. The winning drive was aided by a face mask penalty on Isaac Rochel on the first play. Then Hogan connected on a 27-yard pass to Devin Kajus to get Stanford in a field goal range. After a short run by Christian McCaffrey, Ukropina came on and drilled the field goal, which set off a wild celebration, including fans rushing the field. Now, Ukrapina said he had predicted to punter Alex Robinson that the Irish would score and give Stanford 30 seconds to drive for the win. He proved prophetic as well as clutch. Now, McCaffrey gained 228 all-purpose yards to become the third football bowl subdivision player to top 3,000 yards in a season. But he was held to 94 on the ground, which snapped his nine-game 100-yard streak. Now, Kaiser threw for 235, 234 yards and ran for 128 more for the Irish. Josh Adams added 168 on the ground, but it wasn't enough. And yes, Beads, that was a just crazy exciting game. It was great. Yeah, nothing, nothing like those those endings that just go back and forth. Oh, yeah, it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. It was great. So, and I heard, and I heard they lined up. I heard they lined up their kicker dead on to oh, yeah. to, to shoot it. Yep, 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 right down the middle. So all he had to do was just hit it straight down the middle. You you know I think a lot of coaches screw that up. They do. I mean, Leach Leach screwed it up for Washington State. Yeah. Uh, you know when he he was so focused on trying to move the ball down that I mean it's the the kicker who had an easier time shooting straight than he would from an angle. You're better off just giving him the shot. Push it or hook it too much. If they just have to kick it kick it straight, they just have to hit it true. Mm -hmm. They're not worrying about trying to move it anyway. Yeah, you don't have to worry about any angles. You just freaking nail that sucker. Yeah, and it was great. It was great game. Great game. Now personally, Beach, I think McCaffrey should be the leader for the uh, for the. uh, the Heisman? The Heisman. He's had an amazing now, season, and he's electric now, with the ball in his hands. Now, how close is he? Is he is he not leading for the Heisman, or where's he at? I don't know. I have a feeling the guy from the running back from Alabama is going to get it. He's a pretty good running back, but I, to me, he's not the player that McCaffrey is. Hmm. McCaffrey's amazing with the ball in his hands, however he gets it. Returning kicks, <laughs> catching passes, uh, running the ball, he's amazing. Hmm. So. Anyways, so Beach, we all got that one. And the last game of the week, we had Cal at Arizona State. Oh, Cal at Arizona State. I think I took Cal oh, on this me, one. It was actually I not... Arizona State at Cal. I think I took Cal on you this did. one, did I not? 
And you know, you know, and you you've been knocking Cal all year, and I I don't think Cal's as bad as you think they are. Well, Arizona State and I both, or uh, Kyle and I both took Arizona State. Now, Cal quarterback Jared. Don't call me Jack Goff. Threw five TD passes, and Matt Anderson kicked a 26-yard field goal as time expired to cap an improbable comeback and lift California to a 48-46 win over Arizona State on Saturday night. Now, Cal trailed by 21 points midway through the second quarter, but outscored Arizona State 38-19 over the final two quarters. Now, Goff completed 30 of 51 passes for a school record 542 yards in what may be his final game at Memorial Stadium. The Golden Bears' record-setting quarterback, who called the win over the Sun Devils the most memorable moment of his career, is projected as a first-round draft pick in the 2016 NFL Draft should he forego his senior year. Now, Arizona State quarterback Mike Bercovici threw 40 pass, four TD passes, and Zane Gonzalez set a school record with six field goals, four in the second half for Arizona State. And that, Beach, in the nutshell, is why Arizona State did not win. They drove several times into the red zone in the second half and came away with four field goals. So just like me, they get close, but they just can't score. Yep, just well, they could score, but only halfway. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, kicking field goals every time, and it just you know, yeah. if the other team's scoring seven and you're scoring three, they're going to catch up really quick. Mm. So, so. Well, you know, it's funny because I was seeing that score up on, I, I think I saw a couple updates and thought, God dang it, Cal's getting their butt kicked here. You know, I'm going to lose another one. And they, they came back kind of like the Beavs. Mm-hmm. No, so. they played well. They played well. Okay, Beach. So at the end of the regular season, the final scores are as follows. Kyle with 50 out of 86. Myself. With 50 out of 86. And Beege is up on top with 53 out of 86. Extended my lead. Yes, you did. I fell back. So, with one game to go, Beege, you're going to win this sucker. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, let's talk about the Pac-12 in the polls, Beege. After the goal games last weekend, in the AP poll, Stanford was at number 7. Oregon moved up to number 15. Utah to 21. USC to 24. With Washington State and UCLA in the others receiving votes category. Now in the USA Today coaches poll, Stanford moved up to 7. Oregon to 16. Utah to 20. USC to 24. And UCLA and Washington State we're in the others receiving votes category, Beach. Now, as of last week, with the playoff standing, Stanford was in at 9, Oregon at 17, UCLA at 22, and Utah at 23. Now, I would imagine that when the, when the uh, standings are released Tuesday evening, everyone should move up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Stanford a little bit and so will Oregon. It's going to take a minor miracle for Stanford to get in the uh, in the playoff, in the playoff, yeah, that's what. Yeah, I they they had to have a couple things fall right, but uh, one of them was winning the game. But ultimately, they still needed a couple more to get because you got to be in the top four. Mm-hmm. And so they're at least going to move into number six because they're going to push uh, Notre Dame out. More than likely. 
but uh, but the problem gonna... is you've got several schools. Well, you've got. Let me see. Um, Iowa is up there, and they have to play Michigan State for mm-hmm. the Big Ten championship. So that's one of them right there. That'll one of those will will, will have a loss. Okay. Um, Oklahoma is done, so they should stay where they're at. And then you've got Clemson has a game to play. So there is some teams that could possibly move, but they would need a lot to happen for that to happen. Gotcha. All righty. But, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see Stanford or whoever, Stanford or USC in the uh, Rose Bowl. So, all right, Beach. So it is now time for everyone's favorite segment, the Tommy Tuberville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. <laughs> jackass of the Week Award. Every week we like to disperse, discuss a person in college football who exemplifies the truly worst in sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. And, Beavs, this week we have another interesting one. Okay. Because I'm not really sure who exactly to give this to. Now, last Saturday, Beach, the last Saturday of November started with LSU coach Les Miles reportedly fighting for his job, or at least that's what a few rogue Tigers boosters wanted everyone to believe. Now, the night ended with Miles being carried off the field by his players after a 19-7 victory over Texas A&M at Death Valley. Now, once they finally put him down, he embraced his wife and children as LSU's fans passionately chanted, Keep less miles, keep less miles. Then he interrupted a live SEC network on-field interview to sing LSU's alma mater, as only less miles would do. And then he tipped his hat to the crowd when he was finished. Now, Beach, I just don't understand why a handful of LSU boosters would want to pay less miles $15 million to go away. Seriously? Yeah. Now, Beach, fortunately, smarter people prevailed in Baton Rouge, and the people who are paid to make important decisions are more intelligent than the people who pay a lot of money to try and influence them. And finally, LSU ended what had become a very embarrassing internal tug of war. Less than an hour after Miles was carried off the field, LSU Athletic Director Joe Oliva said, During a news conference, I want to make it very clear and positive that Les Miles is our football coach, and he will continue to be our football coach. Now, BJ, it had been quite a couple of weeks for Miles after reports surfaced at ESPN and other media outlets that the Tigers were preparing to part ways with him even though he's 111 and 32 in 11 seasons. What's wrong with these people? And he guided LSU to the 2007 National Championship. But according to reports, the Tigers were prepared to fire him and pay him a staggering $15 million buyout to leave. Now, there had been at least some credence to reports about his demise. Oliva and the rest of LSU's administration left Miles twisting the wind as speculation mounted that the Texas A&M game might be his last as LSU's coach. During Before the game, they told him that he needed to, quote, just concentrate on beating Texas A&M. Now, it wasn't until after the Tigers beat the Aggies to end a three-game losing streak that Oliva and LSU Chancellor F. King Alexander informed Miles he'd be returning as the Tigers' coach next season. Now, until Oliva made the announcement about Miles' future, it sure seemed that he might be coaching his final game at LSU. He seemed to soak up his surroundings as he and his team made their way from their team buses to Tiger Stadium through the Tiger Walk. 
He was serenaded by fans on the team's senior day festivities during pregame ceremonies, and then, of course, was carried off the field on his players' shoulders when the game was over. Now, there's no question, Beach, that Miles has problems to fix in LSU's program. Since losing to Alabama 21 to nothing in the BCS National Championship at the end of the 2011 season, the Tigers have dropped at least three games in each of the past four seasons. They're 16-8 in the past two, including a 9-7 mark against F- uh, SEC foes. Mm-hmm. Now, LSU's struggling offense has been the biggest issue, and the Tigers have scored 19 points or fewer in each of their past four games. But, Beach, I just don't understand why you would just dump him. Yeah. Right? I mean, but this is kind of the... Well, the fact that they would raise that kind of – I mean, it kind of makes me disgusted that people would throw $15 million into just football. Well, and none of that, you're throwing $15 million into a guy to not coach your football team. Exactly. I, I, I dislike you so much, I want to give you $15 million just to leave. Nope. I mean – Now, Beach, this kind of – you know, a couple of years ago, many Oklahoma fans felt Bob Stooch's brand of football had become stale. And they wanted to get rid of him. Right? Mm-hmm. But now the Sooners are Big 12 champs and ranked number three in the country and probably going to the college football playoff. And Beach, really, at the end of the day, the LSU fans who wanted Miles to leave were most upset about his own five record in the last five games against Alabama. Right? And I can mm-hmm. understand that. The Crimson Tide coach, Nick Saban, preceded Miles at LSU and guided the Tigers to the 2003 National Championship. But I think it's funny that LSU fans can't remember that Saban left them for the Dolphins. Right? He, he dumped mm-hmm. LSU. He took off. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. when Michigan tried to hire Miles as its coach in 2007, he did not leave for his alma mater. And I, I think that's what gets me, Beach. Just how quickly things could turn on people, and they do mm-hmm. not—they do not support any loyalty. No, there's no loyalty anymore. And shoot, they're still nine and three. It's respectable for a lot of teams out there would kill for a nine and three season. Yeah, and most teams I know would. You know, any team in the Pac-12 would. And they're not getting destroyed. You know, those those three games are losing. They're not getting just completely destroyed. But anyways, it just it makes me sick. And so to the boosters at LSU that wanted to boot out Les Miles, this week's Jackass of the Week Award. <laughs> is for you. It was just kind of weird, Beach. I just it was one of those things like all last week I'd see reports of this and I'm like, are they seriously thinking about firing Les Miles? Who the hell do they think they're going to get? That's going to be doesn't better. Make any, it doesn't. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know, it, and it's one thing if maybe he was having some some serious conflicts. Yeah, or other things, or you know, again, alcohol in the coach's office, things like that. But but, but you know, if well, who do you think you're going to get? Well, why do you? You know. Every team in every conference wants to win the conference championship. You know, I, I still love the quote in um, uh, um, 
Oh, shoot. What the Any Given Sunday, I think is what it was called. Uh-huh. Uh, the movie with Al Pacino. And, you know, half the teams on every every Saturday, half the teams lose. Yeah. You know, your goal is to not be one of those teams, but odds are you're going to be at least once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Truly. So how many people can make it through and, and, and win all of their games, you know, let alone even nine of them? Yep. All right, Beach. Well, it's time for our Guns N' Roses musical interlude. And this week, after our request from listener Dano, we're going to listen to the final song on the... Use Your Illusion 1 album, Coma.
motion here. This guy's going to get it in the yard. Going out on it. He's got the defibrillator.
right, Beach. That was coma. And that was a damn long song. <laughs> How long is that song, Billy? It's about 10 minutes and 13 or 14 seconds. You're freaking kidding me. No. Maybe that's why it's under um, underappreciated because nobody will put it on a radio station because it goes over into the uh, into the advertising co- uh, time slots. Well, now Slash stated that he wrote the music for this song in a house that he and Izzy Stradlin rented in Hollywood Hills following the Appetite for Destruction tours. Really? Yeah. So uh, uh, Axel said about writing Coma, because he, he wrote all the lyrics, he said, quote, I tried to write the song for a year and couldn't. I went to write it at the studio and passed out. I woke up two hours later and sat down and wrote the whole end of the song. Like, just off the top of my head. It was like, don't even know what's coming out, man, but it's coming. I think one of the best things that I've ever written was maybe the end segment of the song, Coma. It just poured out. And, Beach, the crazy thing is, there's no chorus in that song. Really? Yeah. It just flows. It just flows. It just flows. Now, hmm. Beach, this song has actually only been played live four times. Really? Yeah. Um, it's probably because it's so dang long and because it causes strain to Axel's voice. Hmm. Um, anyways, so, yeah, that's it. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to have to go listen to it a second time here. There you go. So. <laughs> All right, Beach. Well, let's move on to the Pac-12 Week 14 preview. And Week 14, Beach, is Pac-12 Championship Saturday, which is December 5th. We only have one game to talk about this week, Beach. Okay. And that is Stanford versus USC. Yeah, you know, again, it just cracks me up. How often has the South fired the coach of the team that gets, you know, I mean, they, they fired new, wasn't new Heisel when he, UCLA got in, Yep. brought him into the PAC 12, uh, championship game. You're fired. You're fired. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and USC halfway through the season and no more alcohol in the coach's room. You're fired. So it always seems like the South struggles to find a dominant force down there. Like it's, it's least, always least, just a least crash they have since they uh, broke into, into two pieces. Yeah, yeah. They, there's never been a real dominant. It's always been a real. I mean, we've always been dominated by Oregon the last few years, or Oregon and Stanford, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, it's now starting to break up a little bit. Now that the cheating has gone through, and now that we're not seeing as much cheating, it seems like things are breaking up a little bit more in the North. Yep. So, so Beach, who you got? Uh, Taking Stanford. Stanford. All right. Who uh, are you taking, Billy? Even though it doesn't matter, I too will take Stanford. Okay. And Kyle says, I want Stanford, but I rarely get what I want. I go back and forth about USC announcing their coach. Stanford for the win. So it looks like all three of us are taking Stanford. All right. Loyalty to the north. There you go. All right, Beej. And with that long-ass Guns N' Roses song, I think it's time for a little Rosie Ruiz Cheaters and Horrors. She's just a girl. She's a whore. You know, I, I always 
try to figure out something I can talk about. And some of this stuff is kind of common. I think a lot of people know about it. But, you know, refreshers are always nice. So today we're going to talk about the Black Sox scandal. Are you familiar with this scandal? Of course. Okay. The Black Sox, and they actually made a movie about this. Uh, Eight Men Out, I think. Came out in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, Charlie anyway. Sheen was in that one. He was in that one and uh, Major League. How go. awesome is that? So he, uh, he he evidently has a thing for balls. Anyway, uh, the Black Sox scandal took place during the play of the 1919 World Series. The Chicago White Sox lost the series to the Cincinnati Reds, and eight White Sox players were later accused of intentionally losing games in exchange for money from gamblers. The players were acquitted in court, but nevertheless, they were all banned for life from baseball. So, kind of interesting. It almost was like they had two different teams going on in the locker room. It says here, uh, club owner Charles Comiskey was widely disliked by the players and was resented for his uh, miserliness. Comiskey long had a reputation for underpaying his players, even though they were one of the top teams in the league and they had already won the 1917 World Series. Because of baseball's reserve clause, any player who refused to accept a contract was prohibited from playing baseball in any other professional team. Because of the clause, players were prevented from changing teams without permission from the owner of their team, and without a union, the players had no bargaining power. Comiskey was probably no worse than most owners. In fact, Chicago had the largest team payroll in 1919. In the era of the reserve clause, gamblers could find players on many teams looking for extra cash, and they did. In addition, the clubhouse was divided into two factions. One group resented the more straight-laced players, uh, later called the Clean Sox, uh, such as second baseman Eddie Collins, a graduate of Columbia College of Columbia University, catcher Ray Schalk, and pitcher Red Faber. By contemporary accounts, the two factions almost never spoke to each other on or off the field, and the only thing they had in common was resentment for Comiskey. So nobody liked him, but certain guys were cheaters and whores, and other guys were straight lacers. Yeah. So, yeah, third baseman George Buck Weaver was one of the first who attended a meeting where a fix was discussed. However, he decided not to take part and played to the best of his ability during the series, battling, uh, batting uh, 3-2-4 with 11 hits and 34 at-bats, which was higher than some of his batting averages in previous years. Weaver's career batting average was uh, 272. A meeting of White Sox uh, ballplayers, including those committed to going ahead and those just ready to listen, took place on September 21st in Gandil's room at the Ansonia Hotel in New York. It was a meeting that would eventually shatter the careers of eight ballplayers, although whether all eight were actually in attendance is a matter of dispute. Weaver was the only player to attend the meetings who did not receive money. Nevertheless, he was later banned with the others for knowing about the fix but not reporting it. Although he hardly played in the series, utility infielder Fred McMullen got word of the fix and threatened to report the others unless he was in the payoff too. <laughs> As a small coincidence, McMullen was a former teammate of Sleepy Bill Burns, who had a minor role in the fix. Both played for the Los Angeles Angels um, in the Pacific Coast League. Uh, star outfielder Shoeless Joe Jackson was mentioned as a participant, although his involvement was disputed. He did later sign a statement that said he was in it, but that statement was lost, not to be found for decades later in his attorney's uh, hands. Anyway, um, this was interesting. So when the game started, after throwing a strike with his first pitch of the series, 
Eddie uh, Sukote's second pitch struck Cincinnati leadoff hitter Maury Rath in the back, delivering a prearranged signal confirming the player's willingness to go through with the fix. So Williams, one of the eight men out, lost three games, a series record. Dickie Kerr, who was not part of the fix, won both of his starts. Uh, Sukote bore down and won, uh, and won game seven of the best of nine series. He was angry that the gamblers were now reneging on their promised payments as they claimed that all the money was in the hands of bookies. Huh. Uh, well, see, what happened was the, the, it became known. Uh, the rumors started floating around that the game was fixed. And so everybody was betting on the Reds to win. So the odds went to hell. And uh, so the return got extremely poor. But anyway, still didn't stop people from betting on it. Um, Joseph J. Sport Sullivan, uh, the gambler who initiated the fix, then paid infamous gangster Harry F. to threaten to hurt Lefty Williams and his family if he did not lose the upcoming Game 8. The White Sox lost Game 8 on October 9th, ending the series. Whatever Williams had been told made its impression. In the first inning, throwing nothing but mediocre fastballs, he gave up four straight one-out hits for three runs before manager Kid Gleason relieved him. So, you know, you just don't do business with the devil if you ask me. I mean, he could have avoided the whole thing by not doing it, but you get your family threatened, you don't blame him for making decisions like that. Hmm. So, especially with the... you know, Chicago mob people. It can't be good. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So what was interesting, though, is it went to trial over, over what they did, and the jury deliberated for less than three hours before returning verdicts of not guilty on all charges for all of the accused players. Really? So they were all uh, they were all acquitted, um, but Landis, uh, appointed commissioner, banned all eight players for life. Hmm. So... Uh, you know, and again, you can't blame him. You got it. Unlike the NCAA, when it comes to cheaters like Chip Kelly, at least this guy knew that you got to hit him hard to stop the crap from happening again. Because if you give him a hand slap, they'll keep coming back and doing it. So anyway, you ban a guy for life, and it makes the other guys think real hard before they start taking that money again. Yep, that's true. But if you ban him for 18 months from going back to the NCAA and take away one scholarship from the team he formerly was a coach of, that's going to make your hand red for at least minutes. So, sons of bitches. Anyway. Not that we're bitter or anything. Oh, yeah, not at all. So there you go. The classic eight men out, cheaters and whores. There you go. Right on, Beach. Well, that's a good one. Ah, you know, not as good as some, some of my obscure ones. I like a little bit better. You know, the 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 Special Olympics cheaters. You know, the Rosie Ruas cheaters, the fencing cheaters. This one was a well well known one, but you know, you got to visit those every now and then. Mm-hmm. So, alrighty, where are we on to now, Billy? No tailgate next week. No, Beach. I think that about does it for this week. That's kind of sad. Yeah. I want to thank everyone for listening to show number 72 of Illegal Participation. If you'd like to comment, send a suggestion, or ask a question, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at HeinrichTailgator. Also, check out our Facebook page. Just search for HeinrichTailgator. Remember, you can listen and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave a rating and review. Remember, you can also listen to us on your iPhone or Android device with the Stitcher Radio app. Beach. Billy. It's been a good one. It's, it's been fun. Yes, it has. And uh, we have one more game left in the regular season. And uh, one more show left until bowl season. So next week we'll have show number 73. 
week. So uh, while there's no more football to root for, there is still plenty of other beaver sports, including men's and women's basketball, swimming for Greg, mm-hmm. and uh, wrestling. And for that, we'll just finish off with a great big Go Beavs. I'm living the dream every day, man. Right on. I know that feeling. Oh, yeah. So, so anyway. All right, you ready to do this? Um, sure. Do you have your... Timeline? My thing? Yeah. Outline? Mm-hmm. Yep. What, uh, what GNF and R song are we going to do? Uh, we have a request. We'll talk about it when we get there. Okay. I've got a I've got a cheaters and horse and I've got an update from Eugene, so we're good. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Alright. Let's do this shiz. <laughs> <laughs> 